How did you feel when I said this is Stewardship Sunday? Oh boy, he's talking about money. Oh goody, I'm so glad I came. (laughs) Normally when we think of stewardship, we think of it merely as a matter of giving our money to God through his church. And while the giving of tithes and offerings is an important aspect of stewardship, it is not the primary focus. The whole truth about stewardship is this. Stewardship is the way we handle all those things in our life that God has given to us. It is the management of both us and our God-given resources for his glory and the good of others. See, stewardship is a reflection of our relationship with God. As I observe the truths contained in Proverbs 3, I find a stewardship assertion loudly and clearly. That is, stewardship is lordship. A question we trust, excuse me, a question I trust we can answer is this. Is Jesus really our Lord? That's what matters. That's what defines stewardship. Today we will consider this and we will look at something King Solomon wrote 3,000 years ago. As is always the case, in spite of what you might have heard over these last several years, truth lasts. It doesn't go away. It isn't changed. If it's truth, it stays the same. And the truth of this scripture still has and rings true today as it was in the days of Solomon. Listen from Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Once again, you have an outline that's in your worship folder if you wish to follow along. It's meant to encourage you and to help. Let's walk through this text together. Pray with me as we unpack the scripture. Have your way. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. You're the potter. We are the clay. Mold us. Make us as you will, as we're waiting and while we're still. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. At the core of every acceptable act of worship, at the center of every authentic work of ministry, the essence of every act of stewardship is a heart that belongs to God and is close to God. God is not merely a disinterested creator of humanity. Jesus, in the way he lived his life, made that point very clear. Listen from John 14, 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. He longs for the relationship. He loves us into that relationship. A very dapper guy, Sir Walter Raleigh, was an English adventurer who found favor with Queen Elizabeth I and was knighted by her in 1585. He did not have favor of the king who followed her. The king who followed her was James I. To appease the Spanish, Sir Walter Raleigh was arrested and sentenced to die. As he was about to be executed, he was asked which way he preferred to lay his head on the guillotine block. 
He replied, quote, So the heart be right, it is no matter which way the head lies. End of quote. His heart was right. In another of the Proverbs of King Solomon, he writes from God's perspective in Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart and your eyes. Let your eyes delight in my ways. For when God has our heart, he opens our eyes to see things we never knew were there. Opportunities that are before us. Challenges that he is more than willing to meet on our behalf and using us on behalf of others. The essence of our stewardship is that our hearts will be shaped by God's heart. What Solomon is saying to us is this. Put all the passion of your faith and your trust in God. I choose my passions. So do you. We do. Or better may be understood this way. We feed what we're passionate about. Whatever it is, we feed our passions. The question I must ask myself, what passions am I feeding? Who am I inviting to the table of my passion? But Solomon has more to say. Not only are we to trust the Lord with all our heart, we're also to lean not on our own understanding. He died in 1917. Oswald Chambers continues, however, to enlighten and inspire many. He was in his early 30s when he died. What a man of wisdom he was. Listen to one of his devotional quotations in My Utmost for His Highest. I quote him, Christian thinking is a rare and difficult thing. So many seem unaware that the first great commandment according to our Lord is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy mind. End of quote. The Apostle Paul writes about this in his second letter to the church in Corinth. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Stewardship involves allowing God to have and to work in our mind. It is not a mindless faith. It is not just a passion, a heartfelt thing. It's mental. It's got a construct to it. You can wrestle with it. It is a thinking person's relationship. A.W. Tozer, perhaps the most famous Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor and Bible teacher, wrote, quote, To do God's gracious work, God must have the intelligent cooperation of his people. If we would think God's thoughts... We must learn to think continually of God, end quote. The Apostle Paul wrote something similar to this in his letter to the church in Philippi. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. He knew who he was, he knew who God was, and he knew who we were. May God give us that same kind of mind. To differentiate. The essence of our stewardship, our mind, is to be shaped by God's mind. Solomon is saying that we are to rest in the truth that God has revealed. We are to trust it. We're to have faith in it. And when we don't know, we're to trust in God, whose mind and ways are not ours. 
We are not to replace God's mind with our own thinking. We're to adjust our thinking to God's revealed truth. But there's more. And Solomon writes on, In all your ways, submit to him. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that we are not God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Isaiah 55, 8. In addition, the prophet Haggai tells us we must pay close attention to our ways, what we do, what we say. Now this is what the Lord God Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. Well, maybe this weekend. Okay, not every time. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Do you relate? It works that way, it seems. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. The writer in Psalm 128 reminds us, we will be blessed by walking life God's way. And that does not come naturally. We don't naturally walk God's way. We have to be retrained. We have to be retrained through obedience to what he has declared to us. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Stories told about David Livingston, a Scottish congregational medical missionary in Africa, how he was chased up a tree by a pride of lions. He said the tree was so small that he was barely out of reach of the lions. He said they would stand on their back feet and roar and shake the little tree, and he could feel the hot breath of the lions as they sought him. But, he stated, and I quote from his letter, I had a good night and felt happier and safer in that little tree besieged by lions than in the jungles and in the jungles of Africa in the will of God than I would have been out of the will of God in England. He knew where he belonged. It was worth everything to him. The essence of our stewardship, my ways are to be shaped by God's ways. As our passions are to be focused in faith on, the, on faith in the Lord, as our minds are to give priority to the truth of the Lord, so our ways are to be the ways God has for us. And there's a consequence, a result, an intended outcome to trusting in the Lord, leaning on his truth, to submitting our ways to him. He, God, will make our paths straight. The consequence of trusting with all my heart, the intended outcome of leaning not on my own way of thinking, the result of submitting all my ways to God's ways is that he will make my paths straight. How many of you work with ways when you drive? Us young folks do that, huh? Yeah. Or Google Maps, or there's any other host of app sites you can get for driving. Have you ever had the experience with one of those app sites that it doesn't get you straight there? Oh, man. I remember my wife and I were going to a dinner together with some friends. I believe it was, uh, it was about 10 miles north of where we live, so it wasn't far from home. And this map took us past it, around, up a hill, down a hill, across the river, and then back to the same spot we had been at 15 minutes earlier. And it was directly telling us to do that. 
what a waste of time. Or how many times have you driven down a road and you know, oh, this is going to get me there, this is going to get me there, and then it says, cul-de-sac, dead end. And you just have to go around and find another way to get there. When we follow the Lord with the passions of our hearts, with obedience to the truth that he reveals to us by submitting our ways to him, he says, I give you a road, a map that is straight to where I want you to get that will be best for you, that's made for you, that's made to help you be all that I intended you to be. I will make your paths straight. When we think about John the Baptist, the Apostle John wrote this. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And God chooses to make our paths straight so we, like John the Baptist, can make a straight path in our lives for people in our world in order to meet Jesus the Christ. If it's a complicated road, we'll lose them. If we mess it up with our way of thinking and our way of feeling and our way of acting, they'll be lost along the way. But if we submit everything to him and follow his ways, we can lead them in a straight path to Jesus the Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote this from 2 Corinthians 9. He who gives the seed for the sower and turns the seed into bread to eat will give you the seed of generosity to sow and for harvest the satisfying bread of good deeds well done. The more you are enriched by God, the more scope there will be for generous giving, and your gifts administered through us will mean that many will thank God. For your giving does not end in meeting the wants of your fellow Christians. It also results in an overflowing tide of thanksgiving to God. Moreover, your very giving proves the reality of your faith, And that means that men thank God that you practice the gospel you profess to believe in, as well as for the actual gifts you make to them and to others. And yet further, people will pray for you and feel drawn to you because you have obviously received a generous measure of the grace of God. As we passionately trust him, as we set our minds on him, as we submit our ways to him, God makes of us a culture of generosity, out of which comes great thanksgiving, so that we, his church, might together lack nothing for doing his service, so that we, his church, can be powerful lighthouse in the community, so that we, his church, can be a blessing both to those who believe and those yet to believe, and yes, to those who may never choose to believe. Is your heart, is my heart shaped by his? Is your mind, is my mind shaped by his mind? Are your ways shaped by his ways? If yes, then you are a steward because Jesus is your Lord. If yes, then on that great day of accounting, here's what Jesus will say. Hear it now and know it's coming. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Pray with me. 
Holy Father, we want to share your happiness. Help us to do our part in being and becoming a people who live in your culture of generosity that produces great thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen.